Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And listen to this. The rules have not changed, but the game has. Are you intrigued? Our guest today says it's the end of competition, karma, hurting each other, the game we've played for centuries. It's over and it's now the beginning of people being in love with themselves, with Mother Earth, and with each other equally. Sound like heaven? Well, our guest also says heaven is really the fifth dimension, and you've probably already experienced it. She says the fifth dimension is not a place we are going, but instead a vibration we are becoming. We're going to explore how to develop a connection with our higher self, how to increase our sensitivity to dimensional signatures, and how to consciously choose. Yes, I said consciously choose 5D, where love is the governing force. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your heart and mind and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. As a mystic, Maureen St. Germain has traveled and taught workshops worldwide for almost 20 years. She is the author of Waking Up in 5D, a practical guide to multidimensional transformation. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you for having me. It's a real treat. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And um, I'm just going to encourage our listeners to check out the link that is your bio so they can read. There's so much more about your life. You have such a full and amazing collection of wisdom um, in your life experience. And so I encourage all of our listeners to go read that. But Maureen, here on the show, I have a traditional first question before we dig into waking up in 5D, and I would love to hear your response. We like to kind of kind of set our conversation in a higher vibration and into this larger perspective, so you're really going to appreciate this. And if you could share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? I would call it the definition of what is. Mm. So, everything that you and I can experience is connected. Everything that we know of and haven't experienced is also connected. Yes, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this a lot in this next hour. As I read your book, you it, it's a beautiful, thank you, guide to the multidimensional transformation. And I appreciate many things about it. One of the things is, is that you bring it down into a, a real practical, easy to read, easy to understand format. And you say some things, which I really appreciate, that a lot of spiritual teachers may not say. It's almost like you've um, 
stepped beyond what some of our leading teachers are saying into that next 5D place. And so let's let's just begin right there because you talk that, and I said in the intro that the, the fifth dimension is not a place we're going, but instead a vibration we are becoming. Maybe we could start right there as a foundation of what is the 5D thing we've all been talking about. Well, in your intro, you also said that uh, fifth dimension was heaven, and I use that as a metaphor. So, if you have been, uh, if you have an experience, if if one of your, if your listeners have an experience with the traditional um, teachings from Christianity or Hindu or whatever, they we're all taught what heaven is, and it's this utopia kind of environment, and that's five D, and. When I use the word utopia, I don't mean it quite literally. I mean that in fifth dimension, you have the capability of having what you want or need, and your connection with one another is pure and simple and direct and straightforward. So you don't have arguments with people. You're more in the creative mode. It's not like you don't have decisions, but you have decisions only in one spectrum. And when people say, well, what does that really mean?, So if you look at all possible decisions, the choices are a God choice or a not God choice. And when you move into fifth dimension, the only thing you notice to choose from is the God choice, something that moves you closer to God, closer to the experiences of being all connected with someone. Uh, Anything that moves you away from connection, then of course would be classed as a not God choice. Now you'll notice I'm not saying good or bad because in 5D there isn't a good or a bad. But it's also like someone who, um, you know, I, I, uh, I'd like to make the example to color, someone who's a redhead and who wears only a certain set of colors because she wants to compliment her hair all the time, her wardrobe has got a range of colors, maybe rust, maybe turquoise, you know, and, and a lot of spectrum between those two colors. And they don't bother with harsh reds. And they don't bother with uh, certain blacks that, that make them look pale. And so they're choosing, they have lots of choice, but they're also deliberately avoiding other things. And in the case of 5D, what happens is the not-guide choice doesn't show up as an option. So we are moving into a place where the whole way of operating is different because right now our free will allows us to choose away from God. And, you know, we, we uh, can make another metaphor by looking at children and saying, well, You know, when you take a three-year-old outside after a rainstorm, the first thing they're going to do is find a puddle, and if you let them splash in it, maybe even sit in it and get dirty. And when they're done with playing with the freshly fallen rain, uh, you take them in, you give them a bath, you put clean clothes on them, you throw the dirty clothes in the laundry, and uh, everything's fine. And that's us. That's where we're at right now. We're at the place where we're unhooking from the need to try out the not-God choice. Mm. Well, see, there you go, using story and metaphor again, which you do really well in the in the book. Another one that you talked about, which I've used a lot, often with my clients, that um, the, the game metaphor, you know, that the rules haven't changed, the game has. I often talk to clients about they've learned and mastered the rules and the skills of the game, and then all of a sudden they, they're 
you know, they've learned basketball perfectly and they find themselves on a football field trying to play basketball and it doesn't work. So can you, let's dig in a little bit more of what this transformation really is, because there's a lot of myths out there that, you know, 2012 is going to happen. We're, we're going to do the ascension. We're going to leave our bodies. You address that in the book, you know, we're going to a different place and, and it's, it's kind of like an important message for us to breathe into what you're trying to teach us. So can you speak well, more think, about that? Well, I first of all, the, the, the metaphor is quite, <clears throat> excuse me, quite profound because, um, and, and by the way, I didn't think of that metaphor. That metaphor just came in, floated in. So I'd start out by saying we must be talking to the same guys because that information floated in and it was just how it was for me. It wasn't me thinking it through and coming up with a conclusion. So that's yeah. really important. And I would say to people that it's like the difference between soccer and football because soccer mm-hmm. is called football in lots of environments. So mm-hmm. life in 5D looks remarkably similar to life in 3D. Um, soccer is what I would call a gentleman's game. And Football is a roughneck kind of a game. So you start looking at those metaphors and they kind of fit all the way down. One of the uh, biggest things that I was told, and I was told this by my guides in 1995, and that is that there is no more karma. And when I first told some of my students who were devout Buddhists, good friends of mine, and good students of the meditation work I was teaching, It did not sit well. And I remember figuring that I would, you know, float my trial balloon on what I was being guided uh, with these people because certainly they were in the know. And uh, uh, because it didn't sit well, you know, they said, how can that be? You know, they're, you know, ready for a, a discussion. And I just looked at them and I said, you know, I don't know how it can be. I don't even understand it myself yet, but I do know it's true. And over the years, what I have come to understand, and this is the big aha, and this is help, will help everyone see how the game has changed, if we're only doing things that are moving us towards God, and we're not doing, it's not even an option to take advantage of your neighbor or to do some extreme thing like murder someone, those are not even on the, you know, the choice list, if you will. What happens is there is no need to keep score. There is no need to keep score that someone took advantage of you and you have to be careful that, they, that somebody else doesn't take advantage of you because nobody's going to take advantage of anybody. We're all looking out for each other, which is a different play card, a different playbill. And once you understand that, you get your arms around it. And if you say, okay, I'm living in a world that I still have to buy a car, but I'm not interested in taking advantage of you when I buy the car. Instead, I want to make sure you feel like you're getting a fair price. We'll check and see what the blue book is on that car, and we'll come up with something that works for both of us. And at that point, that's very pro-forward movement, you know, a, a God choice. So do I really need to keep score? I don't think so. So that completely eliminates the need for karma because there is no more karma. And, and sometimes unhooking from the idea of karma is easier than accepting that we're becoming 5D because it's... 5D is such an unknown to so many people. Now, I've had a lot of in-and-out 5D experiences, and one of the other big differences between 3D and 5D is in 3D, things happen in a certain way, 
And in 5D, you can do something or have something happen and then slide back into 3D. Most of us weren't expecting that. We were expecting that once we got our driver's license, we'd be able to drive anytime we want. And it's more like, okay, we're going to give you a car to use, but you always have to ask. So choosing to be 5D is like asking to borrow the car. And in the old metaphor, you know, once we got a license, that we were good to go. So it's a different comprehension of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And the big, big aha is that we are all like teenagers who do really good stuff, act very mature one moment, and very stupid the next. And I I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, having raised four sons. Mm. Well, you, you talked about asking. I'm going to come to the, back to the asking in just a second, but I'm I'm wondering if you see the difference of 3D and 5D. If you can explain it like a different state of consciousness, a different frame of mind, a different perspective, where we're walking through the world in our in our higher consciousness. How how do you how do you describe it that way? Um, the last few. Uh analogies you gave were very good. So it is a frame of mind and it is a state of consciousness. And there are markers that allow you to know when you've slipped into 5D. But the thing about it is when you're 5D, you don't notice you're 5D. It is only when you slide back into 3D and you go, what the heck happened? That you realize you were in 5D and everything was really cool. Mm. And do you think that you say most everyone on the planet has experienced 5D. Are there those that are really stabilizing 5D and living in 5D all of the time? Well, what I have been told by my guides is that we are creating the future and that we are literally in a free fall, free for all. And the way I saw that was someone jumping from a plane with a parachute on but they're playing around and they're aiming for a particular target. So they're manipulating themselves in the air before they ever open the chute. So part of what is happening is this, um, what should we call it? Um, feeling that, We have a lot of choice here, and we are being sponsored by beings of light. We are in a place where Mother Earth has already decided we are going to ascend, and everybody who wants to come is here and moving along, but the how we do it is up to us. Kind of like when you have a GPS and you know your destination and you've pushed all the uh, instructions into your GPS to tell it the destination. And the GPS might say to you, would you want this route or this route? So you pick a route and then you start in on that route and you decide, no, I want to go that way. And you just decide to move in another direction and the GPS adjusts and moves with you. So we are creating our future. Our destination is assured. Mm. Thank you for that response. Um, we are co-creating this destination, and I, I really appreciate that example of the parachute and having fun, because that just sounds like a fun invitation for all of us to know that that parachute will 
open, but we can really play and, and, and do what we want. So you had mentioned asking permission to drive the car. So you write a lot about connecting with our higher self. Can you tell us in your words, you know, what does that mean? And, and perhaps give us a few examples of how you teach others to do that. How do we ask permission and what's the role of connecting with our higher self? Well, this is a really, really important piece, and this is something that I have been working with since 1994, and it started because um, the meditation that I was teaching in the early years, you were a person who learned it was not permitted to activate the final piece of it until they had permission from their higher self, and it was assumed everyone would know what that was, or you would, you know, you'd know when you had, I'll say, an orgasm, you'd know even if you didn't know what it meant or what it was like, you'd know when it happened. So I was not satisfied with that. And I wanted to be able to teach my students a way to absolutely know for certain that it was their higher self telling them that they did have permission to move to the next level. So I asked my higher self to teach me a protocol that I could teach the students. And that's what I ended up with. So... I can joke around and say, you know, my higher self taught me this, but I did ask for it. So I asked my higher self to give me the protocol, and the protocol came in in bits and pieces, as anything like this would. It just was not one big download. Um, and the protocol is a very simple way to connect with your higher self, but gives you 100% accuracy. Now... I want to explain why it works first, and then I'll explain how it works. So the reason it works is because the way we make decisions, and I ask this in every class, how do you make decisions? And they'll tell me, well, you know, I do research on the Internet. I ask my friends, you know, like you're going to buy a car. So I do research on the Internet. I ask my friends. I look at the, you know, consumer reports or whatever it is that's out there. So you're always looking at historical data. And then we add our own experience. You know, I, I saw that car on the road. I liked the way it looked. I drove my friend's car like that, and it handled well. So now we're adding our own personal experience. So one of the reasons why it works is because we develop our own history with the higher self. And we do it in a way that is uh, without attachment. And the way we do that is we actually ask like children. So we ask about things that we don't care about. We ask about whether or not we should wear this outfit or this outfit. Or we ask higher self, um, what do we do uh, when we're on the road? Do we take this route? No. Do we take this route? Yes. Now, what's interesting is the first step is deciding you're going to do this six weeks practice because it is a six-week commitment. And the commitment has to do with being playful, playing around with this. Uh, and then the second thing you do is you do a guided meditation where you actually take yourself into your heart, and then open to your higher self, invite your higher self to join you in your heart, and then you ask your higher self to work with you and to teach you the language of the higher self. In that process, you ask specifically for a signal for yes, a signal for no, and a signal for neutral. Then, during the six weeks, you follow the remaining six rules, which include um, only yes-no questions, only unimportant questions, only asking a question once or twice tops, no more than two times, because then you've made it important if you're asking a third time, right? Um, 
you always follow through. And that's part of the commitment of the six weeks. If, if you're looking at cookies and you really love these kind of cookies, don't ask. Just have one. If you really don't care whether you have one of those cookies or not, it'd be nice, but you're willing to abstain if you get told no, then it's an ideal question to ask in your practice period. Practice period is also your playful period. They could be synonymous, your practice period or your playful period. And the practice period is meant to build history. So um, the additional pieces to the protocol are do not ask predictive questions. What you're asking about is actions that you or I might take. So is it in my highest and best good to go to the store right now? No. And then an important phone call comes in that I would have missed. That proves to me that my higher self has got the goods. And the final one is no other forms of divination. No cards, no muscle testing, no finger testing, no pendulums. You set it all aside, but only for six weeks. Now, the classic question I get is, well... After the six weeks, can I go back to using my pendulum? And my answer is, is always very, very full of laughter. And I'll say, you could, but you wouldn't want to because your higher self is so much more accurate. Why would you rely on your pendulum? You know, I gave a presentation to the largest uh, uh, dowser society in Canada a few years back. And I asked everybody, okay, how many of you uh, have had your pendulum lie to you? And about 80% of the hands go up. And then I didn't know what I was going to say next because I was not expecting such a low response. I'm thinking, you know, everybody in the room is going to raise their hand. And um, so I looked at the rest of the people and I said, all right, the rest of you, you're in denial. And everyone burst out laughing because they knew it was true. Uh, because everybody who's used the pendulum has found the pendulum to be inaccurate on occasion. And the pendulum and all these other forms can be influenced. Now, I don't want to say that they're bad, but what I will say is they have limited capacity. So your pendulum can read your immediate field. They're great for figuring out vitamins or protocols for healing and things like that. But when it comes to a question about what you're supposed to do in this exact moment, your higher self has even more information than your pendulum does because it's got full access to everything you care about plus everything in the reality that's related to what you care about that you in your personality and your body might not know. So The benefit of doing this for six weeks with things you don't care about is you get all kinds of residual benefit. You show up at a restaurant and somebody you've been looking for is there. You um, ask about whether you should shop at this store or that store, and the store you go to has the exact thing you need on sale. And I could go on and on. But So for six weeks, you're asking 40 questions or more a day, and it becomes pretty obvious to you at the personality level, wow, My higher self's always right. This is awesome. And it also will set you up to do things that are fun and funny, which is also quite comical. Like the time the woman came to class the day after I taught this, and she noticed someone was looking her over kind of funny um, because she had kind of an unusual combination of jewelry and clothing. And when she noticed the other woman looking her over, she said, don't even ask. My higher self dressed me today. And everybody (laughs) cracks up, you know. Um, so, so that's how it works and why it works. So after the six weeks, you have now a new database that shows you your higher self's always right. Yeah. Thank you. That is so cool because what you're inviting us to do is to really move inward and really trust 
really trust that higher self and, and not you look know, for I something tell people outside it's not of ourselves. About trust. It's a, because trust still implies doubt. It's yeah, about that's true. knowing. Yeah. So I trust that you and I are going to have a great radio show, but I know the sun is coming up tomorrow. Mm. Well, I, so I tell know. people they both trusting. And here's another thing that happens, which I think is very funny. I always run into people in my classes that will say, well, you know, I've got a pretty good higher self-connection. You know, I, I'm already getting good information, blah, blah, blah. You know, they go on and on. And I'll smile and say, okay, I, I take that in. I think that's great. You're, you're going to do great in this process. And they say, but why do I have to do it if I already have a connection? And my response is always the same. Tell me, do you follow your guidance 100% of the time? Well, once in a while I don't. Then you don't trust it. You don't know that it's always right. And that's what this will do. Because when you doubt, and there will be times that we doubt the information coming in, then we can go back to that basic standard that we created in the very beginning, which was higher self, give me my symbol for yes, give me my symbol for no, give me my symbol for neutral. Okay, so you've cleared the decks, you've asked the question, your higher self is showing you those symbols or signals. And the symbols or signals can be a color, they can be a shape, they can be anything visual, they can be anything tactile, like you might feel an itchy ear or a pit in your stomach. They can be a sensation, a scent, a taste in your mouth. It could even be the word yes or no. So you ask the question and then you ask about the thing that you're doubting. And I will give you an example of something that happened to me that was so wacky Only somebody who absolutely knew their higher self was giving them accurate information could do this. I was driving down the freeway. A semi passes me. It's late at night, and my higher self says, get into the slipstream, get into that airfoil. And that's an airfoil that gets created by the truck's movement. It means the truck driver is going to use more gas. It means I will use less gas. And it's not considered a very nice thing to do, but some people do it. When I got that message, I challenged it. I said, what? Is this my higher self telling me to get in the airfoil? Yes. No. Okay, fine. So I pull in behind the truck. Now, the truck's moving faster than I am comfortable moving at night, so it's a little bit, you know, iffy for me. We're coming up on an interchange where I'm going to change to another freeway, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what's going to happen now. And sure enough, the truck in front of me takes the interchange, so I take the interchange, stay with him, And then the truck moves into the berm, still moving at 60 miles an hour. At this point, I ask again, am I supposed to stay with him in the berm? Yes, do it now. Okay, fine. And I pull over and right behind him, as close as you could get, you know, comfortably and be in that, that airfoil. And another car comes going the wrong way on that ramp Mm. at full speed. When we come out of that ramp, I ask again, do I need to stay with this truck? No, nope, you're fine. Mm. I don't, I, one time I ran my bike into a little kid because I was moving uh, towards him and he was like dead center, maybe 60 feet ahead of me. He saw me, I saw him. I moved to the right and then he moved to my right. And then I moved back to the left and he moved to my left. His reactions were slower than mine and I still ended up hitting him because Every time I moved, he moved, but he's trying to move out of the way the same as me. I'm just getting there ahead of him, and, you know, it, it 
So I, I don't have any confidence that if that hadn't happened that way, that I wouldn't have been ha- had a head-on collision with, with somebody going the wrong way. Yeah, powerful story, Maureen, powerful story. Thank you. You know, my intuition, my higher self is telling me we need to take a break. And I know we're going to have a good show. And I know in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about developing our sensitivity and so much more. We're here with Maureen St. Germain talking about waking up in 5D. We'll be right back. Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Dave. What are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. So, I'm a dog, and I just got adapted by this new human guy, and I'm starting to wonder how he got along without me. I mean, okay, something as simple as walking around the block. He's got this leash thing, and he puts me on one end and him on the other, and I'm just taking him around. I, I think he's afraid of getting lost. Without that leash and me guiding him along, I don't think he'd find his way back home. But it's kind of cute. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. 
Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. We're here today with Maureen St. Germain. You can find more of her work, more about this book, Waking Up in 5D, at MaureenStGermain.com. And Maureen, right before, the, you're, you're giving us so many great examples, and you were talking about trusting our higher guidance. And the, the other thing that I think is really important in the book that's really foundational for us is not even um, more than learning our sensitivity to the higher self is also learning the sensitivity to the dimensional signatures. You call them the dimensional signatures in the book. And maybe you can explain each dimension, like the first through the fifth first, so we can kind of get an idea of what is what is 1D, what is 2D, what is 3D, and then how do we develop this sensitivity? Uh, well, you develop the sensitivity by... Um knowing where you're going. It's kind of like that old GPS thing. I'm giving you the GPS on where to find it and what it looks like. And then you are showing up and saying, oh, yeah, this is what Maureen told me about. I, I must be here. Um, so everybody's in 3D a good portion of their time. And that's the dimension we've been coming from for a long time. Second dimension is a dimension of um, comparison. And it is moving from within to an outer awareness um, and you begin to notice that there's a relationship between your inside world and the outside world, kind of like a baby begins to notice. First dimension is becoming self-aware and not everything is self-aware right away. Um, And that's a whole other story, but for example, emotion clusters that you find in an area that has had big traumas are actually clumps of individuals' emotion that have clumped together to create a mass that becomes big enough that it can spontaneously become self-aware. And we often think of, of um, all that is, or source, becoming self-aware at some point and then deciding to have experiences. So we start from that point and we work our way back. But sometimes it's easier to start with what we know, which is third dimension. Fourth dimension is what I call a portal. There are those who say otherwise. Um, But I have experienced it as a portal, and I like to make jokes to help people remember. So think of fourth dimension as Grand Central Station. Nobody would go there to spend the night. There are no sleeping rooms there. You're not meant to spend the night. You're meant to go there to get into a train or a subway to go wherever you want to go. So fourth dimension is a polarity-based reality. It is also um, depicted in a very good movie, what dream, not what dreams may come, but the movie uh, that Robin Williams played where he rescued his wife from her eternal uh, self-judgment, and she was in this dark place. And that was the place of what I would call fourth dimension, because she was running her emotions so much that it created a version of the reality that wasn't real. So fourth dimension, the uh, energy moves faster, it's high emotion, and because the energy moves faster, things happen quicker. 
So when you're in a place where you slip into fourth dimension, you're usually in a high emotional state, either high sadness or high uh, joy. Now, the high sadness, grief, um, loss, all of those emotions that make us feel, um, you know, feel bad, those will take us down into a vortex-like energy, and then it keeps getting deeper and deeper. That's why when people fall into the deep depression, it's harder for them to get up than if you start to notice that you're in a depression and you do something about it right away. And this is true of practically everything. You know, if you have a hole in your sweater and you fix it right away, it won't get bigger. But if you don't do anything about it, it certainly will, and then it's harder to get it to fix. The same is true with the vortex energy of uh, fourth dimension that goes upward. And I liken that to a tornado. So once you move into joy and, and bliss, what happens is you literally get swept up into the fifth dimensional vibration, and you're in a happy place. And you're in that place of deep acceptance of yourself and others around you. And that's one of the markers you will know, uh, this sense of comfort with others, even when they're not perfect. Oh, someone accuses you of, um, let's say, dyeing your hair. And you start to laugh and say, yeah, practically everybody does that nowadays, even the guys. And you don't even, you don't even take a front. You, you turn it into a joke. Or, you know, the difficult comment like, you're just like your mother. And being able to turn to that person and say, yeah, thank you. I, I, that's one of the nicest things you've ever said. And to laugh and to be in this joyful place and not even realize that somebody was trying to make trouble and pull you down. That's 5D. And it, it's a quality that uh, helps you um, appreciate wherever you're at. So it doesn't mean that life is absolutely perfect. What it means is your appreciation is so high that it dismisses anything that is not appreciated. So 5D is, is a lovely place. And the reason I say everybody has been in there is because there's a lot of experiences that I will share. But I'll jump uh, from that for a moment and say, the reason I know that everyone has been in 5D is because when I asked a very specific question about what had happened to my stuff, my guides actually said, well, Maureen, you were in the fifth dimension when you put it down. And so... When you're looking for something that you have just set down, you walked away and you come back and it's not there, you know, you can start to stress, where did I put it? Where did it go? It was just here. I know I put it down. So there's all these energies that are now making you more 3D because you're full of judgment. When you stop looking and you relax into it, it shows up exactly where you left it. And a really amazing story is a very, very evolved uh, teacher, friend of mine uh, up here, was uh, interviewed me for her show, and, and she said, you know, that happened to me. I took off my emerald ring, a very precious ring to me, and put it in a drawer that uh, I keep other things in because I didn't have time to put it away, and I was tired and sleepy, and I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> the next day when I went to put it away, it wasn't there. And every time I looked for it, it wasn't there. This went on for three months. I finally gave up and said, I don't know what happened to the ring, but I guess it's gone. And the next day she found it. When she opened the drawer, it was right there on top. And because she was slipped back into 5D when she was looking, all the other times she was looking, she was in this what I would call frantic or concerned mode, which is not a place of 5D. This is a, a good question then, because I think this is, thank you for that example. Let's talk about the role of emotions, because it's a big one. And, I, I, you know, we're talking about there's no frantic, there's no... You know, there's a lot of, we, we, we seem to judge 
emotions when we're in 3D as good or bad. And in 5D, there is no good or bad. And, and you know, when we're literally the hallmark of 5D is moving beyond polarities. So let's tell us more about the role of emotions in 5D. We know 3D. We all know what it feels like being in polarity and, and having emotion in, in 3D. But what is the role of emotions? Well, first let's talk about what is the purpose of emotion. And emotion is to color chi or to qualify it with a feeling and a purpose. Now, the feeling comes from the heart and the purpose comes from the mind. So it is a joint venture that colors chi. So think of chi as being a, the, you know, the air or whatever is invisible around us. And then think of the vessel that we create, like a coloring book, being the mind creating an idea or an ideal. And then the emotion fills it with a desire or an expectation. So we're literally coloring the coloring book of the reality. The purpose then of emotion is to make all experiences richer, to add a dimension or a layer of expression that otherwise would not be available to us. Now, in 5D, what we do is we abandon those emotions that do not provide us with a feeling of joy and bliss and comfort and peace. So those other emotions don't impact us. And the example is we all know somebody who's had somebody close to them die. And they are so at peace about it, they don't need to cry. They don't need to get all worked up about it. They go, yeah, I do miss this person. No question. But, I, you know, I have two, I, I, my belief system is so big that I don't worry about it and I don't think about it because I know they're there just on the other side. So there's a lot of, we would call it compensation, but there's a lot of ability to transform our awareness. So our knowledge grows so big that the need for sadness isn't there. The need for grief is not there. The need for fear is not there. Hmm. So it goes back to that that place of, it's almost that when we talk about the bliss and that place, there really when we're not in judgment and we're letting go of, of the why and the how and, and we're in our place of knowing, then the emotions have a quality of that uplifting, that gratitude, that appreciation, that joy that we're talking about. Is that how yes. you would explain and, it? Yeah, it's a great explanation. And, you know, it's funny. When, when my husband and I were talking about moving from Seattle to San Diego, he said, I want to be in an uplifting neighborhood. And I said to him, what does that mean? I had not really thought of the word uplifting and neighborhood, you know, next to each other and to describe a neighborhood. And he said, well, it means that maybe there's no wires in the air. You know, they're all buried. Um, it means that the people don't have chipped paint on their houses, that the houses are uh, well kept. Uh, it means their lawns are nicely kept. They don't have trash floating around their house. They don't have old junker cars hanging out. And went, oh, oh, I get it. And he said, and the architecture is inspiring. I mean, he really nailed it. And it was so funny because, wow, that's, that's uplifting for sure. 
you know, and we all have done that, right? I, we drive through a really nice neighborhood where, where people have resources and they've built beautiful homes. And, and we look at them and go, wow, that's a really beautiful home. I don't know if everybody does it, but I sure do. And it's not out of jealousy. It's out of admiration. Yeah, and gratitude. And you're using the word beauty and beautiful. And I, I feel like beauty is one of those qualities of 5D as well. That's yeah? true. And that's one of the ways we get we can slide into 5D. So, for example, I love, love, love trees. And I didn't even know how much I love trees, but I was always pointing them out to people. And somebody said, you know, you really love trees. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess I do. I hadn't thought about it that way. But um, so I'm around a beautiful tree, and it's, you know, in bloom. It's maybe producing flowers because there's lots of flowering trees here in Southern California. And I'll be enjoying it, and it'll move me to a lovely place of, of just deep appreciation for the beauty of nature. And right there. That's it. That's 5D. Mm-hmm. You, um, you have a quote in the book that I think is helpful when we're trying to qualify the fifth dimension. And I want to just read it, and maybe you can help expand a bit on it and unpack it a little bit for our listeners. It's really beautiful. From fifth dimension expressions onward, we move more and more into group consciousness or awareness as it is often referred to. Another name for this experience is oneness, which implies we are all one. You may have had an experience of this already, yet there are greater and greater states of perception of this oneness. Those perceptions shift and change as we evolve into higher and higher states of consciousness. Can you expand on that or or? Yes, well, I'm going to go back to the trees and tell you that one of my um, hosts one time, and this goes back almost 20 years, took me to this tree in southern Florida. And he said, it's a 100-year-old tree. I want you to see this tree. It's a special tree, and um, I think you need to see it. And I approached this tree. Now, the tree had part of its roots were kind of above the ground as they go into the ground, you know, kind of like that. So you'd have to stand between the, the troughs of the, in the troughs between the actual roots because the roots were so big. So as I approached the tree, I asked, you know, can I come in closer? Now, I didn't have any expectation one way or the other, and it's not like I thought I had communication with trees. I was just, you know, politely asking because it felt like the right thing to do. And I got the clearance to move forward, and um, then... I could feel the energy of the tree. And the best way I know to explain it is to say that it felt like water rushing, like if you got into a little stream that was moving fast and maybe it came up to your ankles or the mid-calf, you could feel it moving around you and you felt stable. It didn't knock you over, but you could definitely feel the movement. And that's what I was feeling. So I said to the tree, wow, that feels amazing. Uh, Can I come in closer? Yeah, no problem. So now I'm like leaning, you know, with my spine on the tree and I'm, saying, you know, this feels awesome. Can you make this come up higher on my body? And tree says, sure. You know, it takes it up higher to my thighs. Now, at this point, I'm enough aware of the tree being rooted to the ground. And I went immediately into compassion. And I said, oh, but you've been stuck here for over 100 years. You can't go anywhere. And the tree said, yeah, but watch this. And it gave me the 
full expression of the energy that moves in the tree in my body. And the only way I know how to explain it is to say it's like having a full body orgasm. And it was so delightful and so joyful. I remember saying telepathically to the tree, well, if I felt like this, I wouldn't go anywhere either. And the best part of this whole story was when I repeated it in class the next day, three women said, in unison, where's the tree? <laughs> mm, beautiful. So, so that story, when I'm, I'm, when I asked you that, it's, we're talking about these greater states of perception and oneness and moving into really this sense of bliss. And I'm, I wonder, and I asked you earlier, and I don't think we quite got to one of the answers because it was a loaded question, but how many people on the planet do you think now have really stabilized the 5D state of consciousness? You know, that's a very good question that I don't know the answer to. And I will tell you that I don't go there with those kinds of questions, not because I couldn't know. Um, the, the short answer is not enough. Um, so we're not at 51% yet. Um, but on the other hand, um, part of the reason I don't do those kinds of things is because I also don't do entertainment questions when I'm in the Akashic Records. You know, when people ask me about is there, you know, is there any chance I was King Lear or was I, and it, was there any chance I was, you know, Mary Magdalene? And, and they're trying to validate what someone else told them or they're trying to validate their own experience or they're, um, they're curious. And so, you know, I made a commitment that I wasn't interested in what I call parlor games, to know for the sake of knowing. And some of that, even the question itself, knocks you back into third dimension because the question invites me to give you a number that you would then evaluate or not. So I, you know, I've never asked that kind of a question. Um, I guess you could say I'm, I'm, I don't really care. I'm more interested in how I can help you have the experience you're seeking. Um, so, you know, when you talk about the oneness experience, opening to that tree like that allowed me to experience all trees like that, which that, that's one of the reasons why I told the story is that all you need is one experience and you know the way. You know, it's just like if you and I uh, drove to uh, Disneyland together, you would know the way after that. You would know what you were looking for, even if I didn't give you the address. So part of what happens is we op we're open to experiences either in meditation or in nature, walking in nature, or, you know, in blissful moments of any kind, holding a baby. And we let those experiences leave us with markers that we can find our way again. Mm. So, and that is all part of the oneness experience because we are seeking oneness with our fellow man. But true oneness, as you have pointed out, is with everything. You know, I will never forget the time years ago, years and years ago, you know, back in the early 90s, I took a class on the Mayan a uh, healing method based on using stones. And they, they put rocks on every joint, not rocks on, but next to each joint to kind of clear that joint and to open it up. But we were told to go outside in this um, retreat center and find our rocks, find our five rocks, our five special rocks. Now, I was extremely nervous that I wouldn't be able to find the right rocks or that I would not know what I was doing or how would I know that it was my rock or that the rock I was supposed to use. You know, all that kind of self uh, conscious kind of talk. 
And um, so I'm praying, you know, okay, we, I'm really asking the rocks to really let themselves be known so I know you. And I sat down on a big rock, and the rock was like a turtle and started to move underneath me uh-huh. and talk to me. And I, <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this one's alive, too. <laughs> so sometimes it's just the heart's desire. You know, you do the work. Yeah. You do the chanting, the meditation. You do the walk in the park, whatever it is that you think you need to do to elevate your consciousness. And nothing happens. Then you ask. I want to be able to communicate with nature. I wish I could hear you guys. I want to know if I can communicate with you. And very often that opens it up. I will also tell you there is one chant that um, I was given by the Hathors, and I later found it in Tom Kenyon's book, and I was in the middle of recording it when this information you know, was pointed out to me, and I went, oh, no. So I wrote Tom and said, look, you know, I didn't bother telling him that I had gotten it myself. I just said, would it be all right if I recorded it? And here's my recording. You know, here's the sample, and I'd like to release it professionally. And he doesn't give endorsements, but he did give permission. And I I told people later, you know, I got this directly from the Hathors, but I wrote to Tom because I wanted to be respectful of the fact that he had put it in print earlier. So um, that chant, and it's real easy to learn, it's four words, L-K-L-E-M-O-M. So it's E-L-K-A-L-E-E-M and then O-M, O-M. And they stand for earth, fire, water, air. And you're literally chanting the names of the four elements in the tongue of the Hathors. And what that does is allows the unity of the elements to unify with you. Now, it is preferable that you sing it, and it is preferable that you do it in rounds of four for obvious reasons, because it's a four, it's a four experience. When you do it outside, you can... Uh, start to tune to nature. So, you know, I have it recorded if people want to just sing along, or you can just sing it on your own. You don't need a recording if you don't want to. Um, And I can tell you that I even took a a class outside one time into a park in Manhattan, Upper Manhattan, and we sat down in this little grove, and the birds started tweeting with us, tweet, 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 tweet. And they sang for 15 minutes, and you could tell they kind of lost their voices. They couldn't finish it because it takes about 20 minutes. But it was so profound for us to be singing and to hearing the birds trying to sing it with us. It was fabulous. Mm. And that, that, that alignment, and it literally aligns your pranic tube and allows your energy to be cleared out of your pranic tube so that you could receive messages from the plant and animal kingdom. And just to help people remember, I call it a colonic for the Puranic tube as a joke, to be <laughs> irreverent, to you know, kind of help you remember what it does. And it, you know, I did it every day for a number of years, and I know that that helped me move from you know, being able to communicate with my mouth and say words to actually being able, being able to hear the elemental kingdom mm-hmm. and be able to communicate with the plant kingdom. So that's a tool that people can use. You know? Well, thank you for that tool, Maureen. And, you know, you have a whole chapter, Chapter 4, 
filled with tools and I wanted to get to it. But we are out of time today. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. My pleasure. It's a real treat. I do have one really fun piece of news, and that is Waking Up in 5D was just voted the best-selling book in America by independent retailers nationwide. Excellent. Congratulations. Congratulations. You You bet. And listeners, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Stay tuned with us next week. We'll bring you another exciting guest and another meaningful conversation. Remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.